0: and welcome to the Saxophone Academy. I'm Dr. Wally Wallace, and on this week's episode, I chat with my co-host, Dr. Susan Fancher, about a brand new recording from concert saxophone virtuoso, Timothy McAllister. We check out some new gear on the market, and in the studio, we chat about getting your students started navigating blues changes. And as the year is wrapping up and the weather's getting cold, a great way to stay warm and look good while you're doing it is to check out the new Saxophone Academy hoodie available in our store. So if you want to look super snazzy and support the podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it. Hope you enjoy the episode.
1: Oh, you do? You have a student? I have a student at Duke who, who um, is doing that. Well, who, do,
0: who are the judges? Who do we buy I off? Have no idea. So we don't know who to bring. I want
1: to find out. Okay. I want to be a judge. Well, I, do, I, ju- <laughs> I judge things all the time, just
0: not in any official Saxon <laughs> capacity. I get real snarky in my car.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, look at that guy <laughs> driving.
0: Who's this on the radio? Yeah. Woo-hoo. Sue, the semester.
1: Oh my gosh, it's wrapping up, almost over.
0: It's (laughs)
1: hallelujah. It's December. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? (laughs) I had a really nice Thanksgiving. Yeah, I didn't do a whole lot. What
0: are you thankful for?
1: Oh gosh, what is there not to be thankful for? I play the saxophone. I'm thankful for the saxophone, my family, my friends. Lucky enough to have a warm house and good food, and yeah, can't complain.
0: I was going to be thankful for Goodreads, but um, oh, yeah, now I feel that. now I feel really shallow. Thanks, Sue. I was, was <laughs> going to say I'm thankful. Hey, Goodreads are a good thing. <laughs> I'm thankful for my my co-host
1: Aww. Susan Fancher. So, the, and I'm also
0: thankful that the semester is almost over. Yes, so, amen. So we're yeah. about to have a break. What are you going to work on over the break? What are you practicing?
1: Oh geez, what am I going to practice over the break? I'm probably going to learn this piece by Mark Angerbreton called Hockney.
0: You have no choice.
1: Not really. (laughs) I got to play it in February. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's what marriage will do to you.
1: I tell you, it's fine. What is is Hockney?
0: What is this new piece you're learning? It's a
1: piece for alto saxophone, cello, and piano. And it was composed for the winner of last year's Van Dorn Emerging Artist competition. So they they try to commission a new piece, right? and the winner gets to play it.
0: Speaking of, well, first of all, uh, over the break, I'm not going to be practicing anything sophisticated. I'm trying to turn Duran Duran into bebop.
1: Oh um, nice! 1980s new wave music. Because
0: here's the thing, Charlie Parker. Those guys they played popular tunes from yeah. 20, 30, 40 years before. Right. So what's 20, 30 years before now? Oh
1: man! See so where that, I'm going to this? Yes, it just I makes
0: do. sense to my and it's brain. It's still
1: popular music now. So I'm going to try to Everybody take some 80s it.
0: music and make it the bebop. Uh, this could be miserable. It could be terrible. It but, could be really but fun. My God, I'm going to do it. I
1: heard. Oh, I can't. Wish I could remember who the performer was. Now, Radiohead. Um, in a jazz cover. Oh, yeah, the jazz yeah. people love Radiohead. Oh, my God, it's, it was so great. Yeah. And I kept thinking, wait a minute, I know this tune. A
0: lot of jazz people. Brad Meldo, I think, <laughs> has an entire album of Radiohead. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. So, oh, speaking of the Van Doren stuff, the, the last yeah. time to enter the competition we have, we. Yeah,
1: the Van Doren Emerging Artist Competition deadline is Friday, Friday? December 6th.
0: Okay, so this should and go out on go a Tuesday.
1: Okay, you M- still have time you need to record the first movement of the Dubois Mm -hmm. concerto, the second movement, the slow one of the Albright, Mm -hmm. and then anything of your choice. Get it in. You got till Friday. Okay. I think it's ages 18 to 23 or something like that. And there's a jazz category too.
0: And if you win and you're a listener of this podcast... You're actually obligated to split the prize with us because you well, yeah, wouldn't have known it no, about it.
1: Right, of it. course.
0: Okay, so good. Oh, yeah. So get those recordings in. And then send us a money order too. <laughs> <laughs> and need, good yeah, luck to you. Yeah, and good luck to you. And you have you have students uh entering in as well. I do
1: have a student entering, yeah. So, you know, fingers crossed. Fingers
0: crossed. We won't we won't say the name in case they crash. Oh no. And burn. no. Yeah.
1: But he's a really really good player and he's a super hard worker and yeah, beautiful guy. That's yep. awesome.
0: Very good. hopeful. Yeah. So Yay. we're about to have a lot more practice time.
1: Yeah, I can't wait. I feel like I had to play... Performances this semester on so little practice time—it's mm-hmm. a little mm-hmm. appalling, actually. You know, he had to really draw on those ten thousand hours. It's <laughs> <I was laughs> like I think I know how to play this thing, yeah. I know. <laughs> but it's scarier. I I really prefer to go on stage like feeling really confident and not going on going. Oh my god, I have no business going on stage this unprepared. Life but has it, it plans. Worked yeah. yep, it, it worked out. Yep, it worked out. It was all fine.
0: So we got some cool stuff to talk about this week.
1: I guess. Yeah. So, f- look at you. So
0: first off, you said Wally. There's a recording we need to talk about yes and I was like classical saxophone recording and who is this guy (laughs) Tim McAllister
1: McAllister and I was like all right Sue (laughs) all right
0: I'll take a listen did, and yeah. I'm really glad you made me listening.
1: See, told you so. What is this
0: recording? Tell us about it.
1: This recording is uh, Tim McAllister performing uh, Guillaume Connesson's. I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly, the The concerto's called A Kind of Train, T-R-A-N-E, of course, like Coltrane, and it's with the Brussels Philharmonic on a recording of Guillaume Conison's music called mm-hmm. Lost Horizon. It's... The whole recording is fantastic, actually, right. not just the saxophone concerto, but the saxophone concerto is just it's just terrific. It was written in 2015. It's published by B.A.
0: Now, the recording is brand new. It's a 2019 yeah. release. Yeah. It's a new yeah. Release. Oh, yeah. April release. Yeah. 2019. It's fresh it's brand off new. the yep. presses. Yep. If they and still you can press. get it any way yep.
1: you get recordings just buy it online mp3 or you can buy the physical cd if you want yeah but i mean did i say deutsche gramophone yeah i know it's on dg well and and that kind
0: of quality shows so first thing i would say is the the brussels Philharmonic sounds fabulous oh yeah really good oh Um, yeah they're tearing it up they are and you and i are also before we get to the course we're going to dive into the nerdy saxophone stuff of course but you and i are also kind of audiophiles we are of a generation that you had the hi-fi in your home You, you so we really do appreciate good audio quality and this sounded good.
1: It sounds great. Uh, yeah, we're from that generation that right. would go out and buy the big speakers uh-huh. and go shopping at the store and, and talk to the guy. And you I know? <laughs> so I put on my I
0: put on my my very good uh, Sennheiser open and closed. Listen two different guys, Ooh. headphones, and I listened and I just loved it. It's colorful. the uh, The sound stage is very natural, <laughs> uh, and everyone it's really well recorded. Uh, it all sounds beautiful, especially. Tim McAllister. Tim
1: McAllister sounds like a million bucks. Oh, Oh, he really does. So
0: it's three movements. Yes. Do you know the names of the movements? I do. I wrote
1: them down. Yeah. Yeah. The first movement is called there is none other. I saw on my paper, there is none other. I'm like, is that the title or is that me saying something about (laughs) it? There is none other. Uh And the second movement is called ballad or ballad. Uh And the third movement is called Coltrane on the dance floor.
0: And it it sounds oh, it's like it. So the oh first and third movements are on soprano. Yes. And that first movement opens, and it, there's some whimsy, there's some singing quality, and I have to say his soprano tone, because this is a nerdy saxophone podcast. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, it's
1: fantastic. It is
0: really beautiful. Yeah, I it love is it. singing. Um, and what I love is that it's so beautiful and pure. This I'm sound like such a fanboy. I'm gonna get myself. <laughs> a, I'm gonna get myself a wedgie. I did not want to feel this way.
1: I really didn't want to feel this way. <laughs> You didn't want to like this, did you? I didn't because, <laughs> look,
0: I'm going to gush you a little, but normally when I think about um, a lot of academic saxophone recordings, because technically we're all basically academics, sure. Tim is pushing the envelope of what can be done, no yeah. question. Yeah. But a lot of times when it comes to, to newer saxophone music, I think it's a lot of really talented, hardworking, excellent saxophonists Playing very mediocre or bad music.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah,
0: and where they're intentionally making ugly sounds that do nothing yeah. other than explore our palettes, which I never yeah. in. This was a really beautiful tone, and what I love is uh, also the sound quality. So it's a beautiful soprano tone. It's not done in post production. Um, you can hear some of the academic recordings from our—I won't say any names—where <laughs> like they will cut, they'll, they'll they will uh, master it and EQ it in a way to take a little bit of the edge and the buzz off, and you can tell because the the overall recording loses color. This has the presence, it has the color, and it's a beautiful tone. And that first movement, it was just beautiful singing. It's so fun, right? It's really
1: fun and upbeat. Yeah, just great. Yeah. It's beautiful playing. I mean, technically, the tone, just great lines. It just is really fun.
0: I was really blown away. Really fun. Um, And then
1: that second movement, the ballads. So if if you're an alto sax player and you don't Mm -hmm. really feel great about your soprano playing, you could really just play the second movement. It's a big movement.
0: Well, if you don't feel great about your soprano playing and you listen to the first movement, you'll just feel worse about it. (laughs) Well, that's
1: a good point. (laughs) Because
0: I will talk a little bit more about, um, yeah, what he's kind of done, I think, for the standard. Um, That middle movement, just beautiful alto playing. Yeah. Um, it's singing. And then the yeah. third movement, which is called, what is it? Um,
1: Coltrane on, on the, the dance, dance floor. floor. So fun. It is so fun. Oh, so man. there's certainly
0: jazz elements. There's, yeah. um, well, I listen, I, I'm going to feel, I'm going to a little cocky here. So before I looked up the composer, I thought this reminds me, I, it kind of reminds me of escapades, the John Williams.
1: Yeah. A little bit. On yeah, steroids. yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> but
0: it also reminded, there's moments that reminded me of Adams, the, uh, short ride on yeah. a fast machine.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, in reading some about the composer, apparently influences of, Williams and Adams. So See? I felt pretty yeah, smug look at after you. reading Go that because there. yeah. like, there's hints of chocolate, there's Go notes Wally. of plum, <laughs> and it, it did feel like a lot of it felt like the, w- the escapades <laughs> on steroids. Oh yeah, um, frenetic and crazy, but at the same time, he never loses control, never gets no. ugly.
1: That third movement is absolutely virtuosic. virtuosic. And he's com- just making it sound like easy. Yes, it's amazing. It's
0: it is, and it's burning, and it's yeah. and there's a. The other two movements are beautiful and singing. This third movement yeah. is frenetic and nuts. Yeah. Um, and it reminds me a lot of the third movements of Escapades, but more so, like, yeah. like on totally. steroids, yeah. uh, it, w- John Williams on meth.
1: Yeah. And, and there's this
0: moment where, gl- during the, the climax, where it's just getting crazier and crazier. It's not yeah. quite, a, it feels like a cadenza-like moment where the soloist is just going nuts and, and Tim is actually burning. You can hear key oil smoking yeah. in the background. And then it leads to this glissando <laughs> climax. And it made me feel in a way that I don't feel a lot on saxophone recordings, classical saxophone recordings, mm. if I'm honest, other than my co-host recordings, I feel that way all oh, the you time. you are so sweet. <laughs> um, that when I listened to um, some Hilary Hahn recordings and some of my favorite oh, violin yeah. concertos. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah. Um, Skipping it's, it's me, one of the ones where like it, there's this, some of these climaxes, the third movement of some great violin concertos, yeah. where I'll rewind a couple of seconds with tears in my eyes oh. driving on the highway. Oh. It was it was exciting and virtuosic and yet beautiful.
1: yeah. Um, and there's so much music there. Oh, my gosh. There is. So this is a recording us. Yes. Yep.
0: Um, I hate to be gushy, especially about mm. classical saxophone. Nerdy, so.
1: <laughs> but Well, and I wonder how hard the orchestra part is, because, of course, the Brussels Philharmonic is playing so great, they make it sound easy. But we should look into that, because sh- yes. I wonder if, you know, College concertal competitions, is this something a college level orchestra can play or not? So I I'm hope so. Have to ask around about that. Yeah, there's
0: not a lot of new pieces for saxophone that I think, gosh, that stands up there.
1: Yeah. This yeah. This
0: is one of those pieces where I'd like to hear a lot. I felt the same way about John Williams' escapades. Some academics yeah. kind of turn their nose up at it. Now it's movie music. It moved me. I really found it oh, yeah, beautiful. Oh, yeah, it's a
1: beautiful piece. Um,
0: and this is, I think, up there.
1: We need to stop thinking like. That yeah. actually, and just make some good music. And this and felt this is that and there. Yeah. this
0: was this combination of, I think, a Beautiful piece. And I was unfamiliar with the composer.
1: Yeah, I've never uh, full heard disclosure. of him. I'm, I'm ashamed um, to say, but he's got I, a huge list of works. I was not,
0: it's not like I collect the Brussels Philharmonic CDs. I don't know a right. lot about them, but they are dynamite. Yeah. And uh Tim McAllister's playing is really something else. Yeah, it is. And this yeah. recording, and I'm so glad you're like, Wally, we gotta talk about this. Wally, we gotta talk about this recording. And I was like, no. <laughs> oh.
1: oh, fine. I am devil's
0: advocacy was in my doctoral minor. And so I was like, no, we well, yeah. And I have to say it felt a little bit like a um I'm getting this is I'm uncomfortable with how insincere I'm being. A Roger Bannister moment. Are you familiar with Roger Bannister? No. A British medical student that bear with me here. Okay. That broke the four-minute mile. Before that, it was thought impossible for human beings to run faster. Run. This is running. I can do four minutes in my Volvo, no problem. But uh, breaking the four-minute mile, running. <laughs> and it was well, not thought possible. Then Roger Bannister was a British medical student, I believe, that broke the four-minute mile. Oh. And that's amazing. But what was more interesting is within the next year, a bunch of other people beat it. And then now oh. high school students routinely can, a good high school track athlete right. can break the four minute right. mile. Cause it kind of raised what we expect. Right. And so it's I weird. think when it comes to saxophone concerto recordings, especially yeah. this was kind of, I'm not saying, I think the it was a Roger Bannister moment saying that this was a fantastic recording, but I think it's going to, in a generation, I don't think we have our Hillary Hahn yet on the saxophone. Yeah. Um, and that's centuries of pedagogy and right. training that, that leads course. to like a Hillary yeah. Hahn level. Right. Of, not. This is not a knock on any saxophonist. Of course but not. I think yeah. this recording has helped move us so the next generation may come pretty darn yeah. close to those world-famous. It was just
1: yeah, such I mean, great
0: playing, a beautiful recording, you know, and a great If you're piece. teaching
1: out there or playing or whatever, you should listen to it or tell your students to listen to it. Yeah.
0: I was really blown yeah. away. So thank yeah. you for making me yeah. listen.
1: Well, yeah. Thank you for listening. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's great. And <laughs> no, this, this is, is nothing else. This to is say. not Tim
0: McAllister's first rodeo with
1: Oh no. Well, this is the thing that was just blowing me away. You know, I, I went to listen to this recording and I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then I go to Tim McAllister's website mm-hmm. and to his recording section. And oh my God, it's like one after another are just these career-making projects, but he's got a whole list of them. I mean, 2019, uh, this album of music by Kenneth Fuchs, um, it's got the saxophone concerto Rush on it, and that got the 2019 Grammy Award for Best Classical Compendium. I mean, geez, with uh, Joanne Folletta and the London Symphony Orchestra. Okay, and that's on Naxos. And then you go back, another recording he's got with the Berlin Philharmonic, the John Adams edition where he's Mm -hmm. playing City Noir. Oh my gosh! That's in 2017. Him
0: playing that piece—it was pretty phenomenal. It's
1: amazing. And then you go back. There's a none such recording with John Adams' City Noir plus the saxophone concerto. Da, da 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 So you just yeah. go on, and of course, it that doesn't even come,
0: He he's doesn't
1: even mention a dozen great yeah. recordings by the Prism Saxophone Quartet. Yeah. So he's doing okay. Woo, he's Tim's doing okay.
0: All right. That. I won't send a letter, I won't send, <laughs> uh, he won't, I won't be sending a letter of recommendation just yet for it. Okay. He seems to be doing okay. <laughs>
1: he's doing so great. This, um, I'll yeah. put a link in the show
0: notes to this Such recording. Such good work, yeah. Oh, the Brussels Philharmonic, <laughs> because, um, yeah, it's that good. Yeah. So, enjoy, it's just
1: great. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, geez. And, and, yeah, buy a copy. Absolutely! Yeah, support, yeah support actually, go and buy it. Yeah, don't just listen to it on and Spotify al- like awesome. I yeah. did. I and will also go buy it too. spend some money and stream a <laughs>
0: lot, so Deutsche Grammophon knows. Hey, yeah.
1: saxophone's a good
0: thing to have on our fantastic label. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So awesome. In other nerdy saxophone news, okay, I got some product in. Woohoo! So I am a huge fan of Key. You know, Timmy Koster is a Key Leaves artist. He He's is. An endorsing I did not artist. know that. He is. Okay. And I'm a Key Leaves artist. So well, by the transitive you. property.
1: You and Tim are, which, are the same.
0: Basi- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. So basically Yeah, yeah. Basically. why is that so damn funny, Sue? So, okay. Well. So no, so Rulon Brown, the owner of Key Leaves, with the key props, which I've talked <laughs> so more funny. than enough about, um, are beautiful uh venting of the saxophone key. The Key Leaves key props yeah, are yeah, a product I love. We were
1: talking about that. I yeah. actually promised
0: to buy you a set, then I completely forgot.
1: Oh, so that's okay. To, I did too. Okay. Well, good.
0: So he's got a brand new product out, uh, patent, patent pending, and this is the Gap Cap. Wow. And so- It looks cool. So what this is, is first of all, it replaces the name End Plug, <laughs> which I hate. It doesn't
1: sound nice. Now, I used to hear it called
0: End Cap, but then there was a end prominent cap. End Cap maker that called them End Plugs. <laughs> An End Plug is not my favorite thing to say here or listen or see in writing. <laughs> So, um, Rulon was kind enough to send me this to take a look at, and That's it, first cool. of all, it comes in, so it's an in cap for your saxophone, but now it's called the gap cap. And here's why it's special. Uh, number one, it keeps with his philosophy of healthy, aired out, dry saxophones. Now I spoke yeah. to a physician who I've got some interviews that we're going to work in next year. Um, uh, Dr. Ward Robinson, infectious disease doctor, retired, mm-hmm. who said the biggest thing about saxophone playing health-wise is not viruses, it's not bacteria, it's moisture and fungus. Right. Uh, we need to worry about it. And so this gap cap is kind of this cool spiral open design that lets the end of the saxophone air out. Right. So keeping with the philosophy of a dry saxophone is a healthier saxophone. Now what's right. interesting is so it's a very tough, durable type of plastic in the plug itself that kind of spirals into it so it'll fit Snugly but flexes, and then it screws out and in. I'll put a link in the show notes. You can see what I'm talking about. It's difficult to 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 describe. Yeah, so you can change the the length. So, regardless of your saxophone in the case you have, and it's fitting in my BAM case, it fits in the Yamaha case, and so it unscrews to fit any size. And then also has some shock absorbing properties. This would be great
1: for anybody out there who has a little bit of play between Uh their end cap. And the saxophone case, you know, because you don't want your saxophone jiggling around in your case. This right. would be a great product, even just for that, if not for the right. air. Right. And so, yeah, great. It
0: flex, vent, expand, protect and on the marketing materials here. And it is true. So I've already replaced. I was using a beautiful handmade wooden one that is oh, very pretty. Yeah. It makes me happy. This one feels safer, and yeah. I also like the fact that it's going to let my palm keys get more air. Right. Um, which, you know, those are some of the first ones to yes. begin to rot, because that they th- stay stays wet. close, stay yeah. wet. So this yeah. allows for more airflow at the other end of this the saxophone, is great. which is, is kind of exciting. Um, cool. And also, the, um, the end part is actually this really kind of high-quality aluminum-feeling thing. It's yeah. got a textured grip, it's so it's light. super easy to, to feel, and... One of our podcast listeners uh, actually mentioned it was some kind of special manufactured aluminum that makes it quite well made. I didn't understand it, and he didn't—he <laughs> didn't get out crayons <laughs> and sock puppets to explain it to me. Um, but these sell for forty-five dollars, which is not cheap. For and you know, you can no. buy like a, a ten-dollar in-cap plastic right, one, sure. But this is going to fit any size case, any size saxophone. Protect it better with some shock absorption, and actually going to vent, keep it healthier. Right. So this is in my case now. Awesome. Um, I, the handmade wooden one I have from Saxby is beautiful. Yeah. But when you think about the function of the end cap,
1: you know, yeah.
0: hygiene, safety above all else. So I got to say, I'm impressed. It comes cool. in a cool little tube package and a little pouch.
1: Yeah. A little carry that. pouch.
0: Uh, beautiful little, um, in, in with the Key Leaves logo all over it. And you could fit. Sue, so there's very a cool. lot you could fit in this pouch. Now, you could well, put your yeah. end cap in here, but it's not going to be in here because it's going to be in your be- <laughs> But in this pouch, I could fit 75 jelly beans.
1: Did you really count?
0: Two soprano mouthpieces, <laughs> one dinner roll, 12 ounces of soda for approximately 15 <laughs> seconds, then it drains right no, I'm not kidding. It's, it, it's, it's a quality packaging, quality product. Um,
1: Let me see. You know, yeah. I you know I've I've got a, a daughter who does all kinds of interesting things with little pouches and stuff I love like little that. pouches yeah, and stuff like, it's like that. Great. Yeah, 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 yeah. So
0: beautiful packaging, great product, and I got to say oh, I'm impressed. Almost by... makes
1: a mitten. It Does
0: and it's <laughs> the winter months. If <laughs> you have small hands, it also one hand can have a mitten and it's no. That's
1: really nice material. It actually, is. there while this <laughs> feels like a premium
0: product all around, uh, um, and I got to say great. I'm really impressed with what Rulon Brown is doing for the saxophone. Yeah, he's being truly innovative. The key props are something that I've never seen before, yeah. and it's done really elegantly. This, this, this fixes another problem. I've had yeah. also another listener that wrote in and had a um, uh, their saxophone, a vintage saxophone that in modern cases has this big gap, and they had a, a huh. custom-made yeah. long end cap. And I don't know about you, but like I change cases depending on the situation. Sure. So if I'm uh, You know, traveling some places in the car, I might use my hard case. If I'm, you know, going to be on a plane, I might use something smaller.
1: Uh, If I'm going to have a
0: busy teaching day, I might use my BAM trekking so I can fix music and all that stuff. Right and bourbon, uh, everything everything <laughs> I need to get through the teaching Long straw. day. Yeah, Ooh, oh boy. Um, and so this one I don't need, you know, it's it will fit whatever cases and it's not like hard to adjust. You just unscrew it.
1: Yeah, feels yeah. very sturdy.
0: So uh, kudos to Rulon for a cool product. Yay, thank He's you. also got some new other products, um, some pad wipes. We're going to talk about oh, uh, the spit sponge, which I'm gonna I haven't had a chance to test, but I'm gonna give you some to test. I'll test.
1: Great. Yeah. So this
0: would replace the what some people were using with cigarette paper. Or I used to use uh, Yamaha pad powder pad paper. Uh huh which is apparently just a bad idea altogether. Because if you're trying to clean your pads, why would you swipe baby
1: powder on <laughs> <That's a> point. <laughs> I did it because my
0: professor said so. Well, of
1: course. Because <laughs> if Yamaha
0: makes it, I'm a using it. <laughs> I'll shut up about that now, according to my old professor.
1: Now stop uh, it. <laughs> I will.
0: Uh, another product I tried, this is not a Kiwi's product. This is a product that a lot of our listeners have written about called the Reed Geek.
1: The Reed Geek.
0: I've heard a lot about of it. I went to the local music store. First thing I would notice is I was perplexed by the variations of the Read Geek. There's like Read Geek Pro, the Double Read Geek, um, Read Geek, something Here's else. Here's
1: universal.
0: This I, so I bought the, the cheaper universal one to give it a go. Okay. Um it's a read adjustment tool. And I will say first things first, Read Geek needs to make it much more clear about which product is for what. Because when right. I was looking at it, it's called like the, the geek, the double geek, the universal geek, the geek <laughs> wand or whatever. And you're like, okay, so you turn it around to read about which one it is. But the product is inside this bag and the product is actually covering up the text that explains it.
1: Oh, yeah. They so happen so often, you know, doesn't it? I, like, and
0: it wasn't the music store's fault. they didn't Classic. Yeah. And so I went <laughs> and um, to our, our local retailer, more Music Company, and um, bought one. And so here's the thing. It's a reed adjustment tool. Specifically, this one I've heard a lot of people saying, and when you're talking about leveling and flattening the back of the reed, this right. is a great tool rather than sanding. And it also has these, so it's this kind of little, looks like a, you know, the monolith from uh, 2001 Space it Odyssey? It does, a little baby a one. A little baby monolith. <laughs> so it's, it's one big block where it feels like very high quality steel. Would you
1: say like it's a third of an inch square and then two and a half inches tall or two? I can't yeah. tell. I'm not very good I don't that. know. I'll put a link in the show notes to a picture. Yeah.
0: I, I'm not good at it. Well, it's kind
1: of beautiful. I, what do you do with it, Wally?
0: Oh, is I supposed to use it? Okay. <laughs> so it's a really it's, just a it looks tool. like you so, can put
1: it on a necklace.
0: Oh, it does have a little hole in it. I don't know what that's for. <laughs> so what I used it for was um, basically taking a little bit off. You can use it the fine edge tool to balance the the tip rails to do the front, but it lays flat on the back of the reed. You okay, gently, almost like you know, like the the knife edging straighteners. It's not a sharpener, yeah. but like in your knife block, you get the thing that you edge, straighten the edge of exactly. the
1: knife. Exactly. Yeah. So
0: you scrape it gently back and forth. Um, in fluid motion to kind of flatten out the back of the reed. Okay. And here's the thing: with a reed knife, you would never do the back of the reed. You'd use right. balance the tip holes and take some off. Right. Um, sandpaper, you can do the back of the reed. Right. With a reed knife, when I just read, it would take me seven to ten minutes to ruin a reed. <laughs>
1: that was my experience. Yeah. That's why I don't now, bother. I'm so bad. I
0: can ruin a reed in thirty seconds. Oh,
1: awesome. No. <laughs> 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 Kidding well, so you save a lot of time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're going to throw the reed out anyway. <laughs> the thing is, I use a
0: sturdy enough <laughs> ligature. I don't deal a lot with back of the read warpage. Right. So, and I did try it uh, to adjusting and taking like the kind of dead layer off the back of some older warped reads. Oh, okay. It did kind of give them some more life. And more importantly, I didn't actually ruin, all kidding aside, I did not ruin any reads with this. Awesome. Because it kind of idiot proofs it. And as my wife can attest to, <laughs> Everything in our house for Wally should be idiot-proof. <laughs> um, so I was able to actually flatten the back of the reeds, scrape a little bit off, and I find it most useful, like, you know, when you play on reeds for a good month, they start to lose a little bit of sheen. Sure, they start to warp, yeah. And then the um, the back of the reed starts to warp in the shape of the window of the reed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that did flatten out, and so it did give it a, an overall um, Just, uh, softer feel to the reed. You know, it made it a little bit less resistant. Uh, and I got some more life out of some of my older reads. Well, that's useful. It is, I think, in a pinch. I don't, like we've talked about before, you and I are not big into adjusting reads.
1: No, So I, I probably will not do with it. But yeah.
0: because some trusted listeners um, were really raving about it, I thought I'd buy one, give it yeah. a shot. And I got to say, if you're going to adjust reads, I think this is a great tool. It feels very right. well made.
1: Yeah, it does. Um, yeah. And we'll
0: say to the read geek people, they need to make it easier to figure out which one you need and what it's for. Yeah. So the double geek, well, I'm do assuming, that. is for double reads. Um, <laughs> in the music store, I'm not a brilliant man, granted, but I'm reasonably intelligent and I had a hard right. time figuring which one which I needed. Which one is,
1: yeah, which one I needed. Yeah.
0: And so that's just that's a marketing issue, not a quality issue. Right. Um, which I hope they can they can sort.
1: Right. Out. They should be able to sort that out. Yeah. yeah.
0: And also the that's website was feels n- great. Yeah. Um was not that much more illuminating. But uh, enough people were raving about I have to say, I would never buy this thing. Looking right. at the marketing materials, looking at it is like, I don't know what this does. I don't know which one I need, which version or variant, and I don't know how it works. I would have passed it over in a heartbeat, except people that I really trust kept raving about it.
1: Cool. And so well, I get it. If people who are adjusting reads are using this and happy with it, then must be okay.
0: I guess. <laughs> so yeah. awesome. regeek and other any other cool. Oh, you have a new case.
1: I don't have yeah. a new case. <laughs> <laughs> I sent an email today to the music dealer say, hey, any update on my case that I ordered in like August yeah. <laughs> that was going to get here by October. And of course it's December. <laughs> still no case. Still no case. I'm still waiting. <laughs> well,
0: maybe they're just customizing it for you. Yeah. Maybe it's going to be super special. It's
1: going to be monogrammed with my name. Corinthian leather.
0: (laughs) Maybe they'll put some rhinestones on it.
1: Oh, I just hope my saxophones fit in it when it gets here. It would have been nice to have for this semester because I was schlepping around adjuncting at three schools. And so Uh, dragging my soprano and alto in, in their separate cases. I was really excited for a single case. But, you know, I'll always need it whenever it shows up. That's Unless true. it takes 10 years, then maybe not. I don't
0: know. You'll still be playing in 10 years. Well, I'll still be yeah, playing in yeah. 10
1: years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got to go practice now because I got to get as good as Tim McAllister. <laughs>
0: That's about... <laughs> oh, I already forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Man, I'm glad I just play jazz these days.
1: Because otherwise, right? that'd be really intimidating. Maybe I'm going to switch. I don't yeah. know. Maybe I'm just going to quit little, and do something what's else. What's the great thing about jazz? I don't know. A little know. bit of color in the sell, sound? I could sell yeah. used furniture or something like that.
0: Stop it, Sue. <laughs> So you um, you had a question for this week as well.
1: What was my question, Wally? Oh, I remember my question. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it would be really helpful to talk about beginning improvisation. Okay. Because, well, because when you have a student who wants to learn how to improvise in right. jazz style... You know, maybe there's some good strategies, and since you've done a fair amount of thinking about this in recent I years, did, was, I was really yeah. hoping that you you would be willing to share some I will some and information I, and, and I'll stuff
0: peek behind the curtain and, and be a little bit vulnerable. Thank you, Brene Brown, because I'm going to brave the wilderness. Okay, um, <laughs> Brene Brown's a great <laughs> author. I will send you a link to her special okay. on Netflix talking yeah. about the power of vulnerability oh, and yeah. dealing with shame. So a lot of us, we front like, I've always been great, I was a prodigy. No, I changed genres. Well, that, yeah,
1: well I feel like you know talking yeah. about this with you also is, is so me I don't, doing that too. Yeah. I, don't, yeah. I, don't, I
0: don't mind saying how bad I was and how much I embarrassed myself um, before I really kind of figured out what I was doing. Because I was a classical player that for a lot of reasons just decided I, my passion is not with the literature, though this Tim McAllister recording could almost change that <laughs> a little
1: bit. I,
0: I, I cast a glance over at my classical mouthpiece whilst listening. Uh, I thought I'm so passionate, especially about the 1950s, 1960s West Coast cool jazz. Oh, yeah. you're you know I, I just so passionate about the music. I thought that's what I want to do um, yeah. into the 21st century. Because I think yeah. it's just... Anyway, point being, so I was not a natural young person doing this. I was a reasonably accomplished classical player that decided I'm gonna switch genres. So I, right. as an adult, had to really analyze what I was doing. And it was frustrating because a lot of people that were really good improvisers, really good jazz players, they just did it. Right. And well, how'd you do that? Mm, you yeah. just gotta feel it, dude. You, were, <laughs> you call people cats, you say swingin', <laughs> use the word vibin', and then it happens. <laughs> it just happens, And then yeah. you get into this contest of who knows more anecdotes and trivia about who played with who. And none yeah. of, none of yeah, that yeah, interests yeah. me. Um. So I came to it honest and white knuckled and now I feel I'm at a place improvising where I'm really happy with what I'm doing.
1: That's awesome. But I had to
0: really think about how to get there. And also the other thing is, is you and I are teachers. We're not ashamed that we're teachers. We're not trying to be like, I am a world famous accent and then hide the fact that we teach. We're both passionate educators. So anytime I do something, I always think about how would I teach this? So if I figure something out for myself, I almost don't like it until I can figure out how can I codify this into a teaching method. Gotcha. So you were asking about um, blues changes as well.
1: Yeah. So, of course, a pretty obvious place to start is like B-flat concert blues. Right. So I got a couple of students, one on alto, one on tenor, and, you know, more than a couple. You know, we're starting with B-flat you know, blues. And of course, we've got the Abersol book and the B-flat changes, and we're working through how to learn the changes with his method, right. and that works great. That's fine. And I would love them to do some listening of B-flat concert blues so that they can hear things hear you know professionals playing in that key so that they could copy and transcribe some of it but it can't be too hard for starting right right and i would also like them to learn a bunch of tunes that are in b-flat concert blues so that they can learn some heads and then do some improvising on their own from the changes so they come at it from all sides right right so you know I have a few tunes, you know, that are in the Abersol books and, of course, in the real book. Right. And I just, yeah, it'd be great to, you know, find a way to kind of guide these guys because you have to listen.
0: Right. And And you have to love it. That's for a second. So I actually had played the Montreux Jazz Festival having no idea what it was. It sounded terrible. (laughs) Um, back when I was a part of a group that went over there and played, I'll never forget playing and falling on my face and looking over like, oh, that's Herbie Hancock walking by on the streets of Montrose, Switzerland. (laughs) And um, the reason was I was a saxophonist with a lot of technique and I had played a concerto before, you know, I had, you know, won some of the nerdy competitions and, but I thought I could technique my way into jazz. I thought I could think my way into jazz and not saying it's not a very intelligent thought provoking art form. Right. But I wasn't listening passionately to jazz. And right. so, in a sense, you have to find what you fall in love with. And here's the problem. Right. Back before the age of Spotify, I went and I was like, well, I need to know who John Coltrane was. So I went to my local record store, spent my birthday money, and I bought the major works of John Coltrane, a two-CD set. Yeah. And what I didn't realize was that was highly experimental late works. Oh, jeez. Like, like, you know, mime dies in the forest, oh, does golly. it hit a symbol kind of stuff. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I don't like jazz. Right. Because, you know, it's not like you go on you Spotify like and look at the music. best. Yeah, and so, yeah. like, um, the late works of John Coltrane did not resonate me. I appreciate it now, but it doesn't resonate yeah. with me. So m- my first thought of this is find a player or a couple players that really speak to you. Yeah. And if it's not Kenny Garrett, that's fine. It doesn't yeah. resonate with me. Yeah. And if you love Paul Desmond, he may not be the coolest among the cool cats. Find something that resonates with you yeah. and then fall honestly. in love. Yeah. Honestly.
1: Find some, something you honestly love. And yeah. fall
0: in love with it and listen. Um, I think
1: that's a good good piece of advice for any genre, Wally. Yeah. Find something you really love and listen to it. And right. And absorb it and... Yeah, create it. Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) So then that's, this is where the problem comes in. So um, you have to listen, and then you transcribe. You play from the recording. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, there's not a lot of easy-to-find B-flat blues (laughs) solos to transcribe. Right. And so I actually thought about it. Some of my favorite alto blues solos, I mean, you got uh, Cannonball Playing, um, and what's interesting is like okay, like Will Straight, no chaser. There's a recording right. with Cannonball with uh, Miles Davis on one of his records. Right. They don't play it and be flat. Right. Um, and there's um, one of my favorite blues is called Blinuet. We talked about before with Zoot Sims.
1: Oh yeah. It's
0: in concert G. Um, and so like right. it's hard to find like a vanilla you know solo yeah. to transcribe. Uh, I will say if if you have to have a starting place, uh, Charlie Rouse playing Monk's Straight No Chaser.
1: Uh huh.
0: Is kind of a good place to start. Charlie Rouse, I adore.
1: Is that, um, in, is that in concert and, and, B-flat? In and
0: and some of the recordings, live and otherwise, you can find actually in B-flat to transcribe. That's
1: cool. Okay. Even as an
0: alto player, you can kind of get a feel for what he's doing. Um, he Obviously, Charlie Rouse was a tenor player that played a lot yeah. with Monk. Uh, I think really an underrated tenor player. He did hey. all his best work with Monk, and I just adore Charlie Rouse. Uh, and it's, it's, it's swinging, it's, it's got a lot of blues influence, and it's just cool. I cool. think it's a good place to start. Um, then past that, and this is one of the things that I challenged with, was when I think, all right, if I'm gonna play the jazz, I have to play the changes. Because we play the head and then we play right. the changes. And so I always viewed my job as outlining chord changes. Right. So when you think of the blues, you have the one, then the four, then the yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought like, okay, so then I play this chord, and then I have to play this chord, and then I play this chord. Now we have two measures of the four. So now I need to go to this chord and then back to this right. chord, right. transition chord, and then you know you either have a five four or more commonly a two five. Two
1: five two yeah. five one.
0: And I always thought like, okay, so I need to play these chords. And I would try to find patterns or licks that would play and plug in the different chords and try to outline those particular chord tones. More recent, and there's no one right or wrong right. way, but more recently, I found a way that works for me in my mind. that a lot of players that I know play more naturally, they don't consciously think this way, they just do it. Yeah. And here's the thing what key is a flat blues in? It's in B flat major. Right. It's not B flat. Now you think, but well, it's a dominant chord. No. There's no, no. dominant no. key. I mean, like, right, you know, right. it's not in the key of B flat dominant, it's in the key <laughs> of B flat major. So as an right. alto player, you're playing melodic lines in G major as right. an alto player or as a tenor player. You're playing melodic lines in C major. Right. Then when you get to the four chord, it's not in the key of four dominant. It's kind of feels like the minor. So All if you're an alto player, it feels right. like you're playing G major. Then yeah. it slips briefly into G minor and then back to G major. And then a two five one of B flat or in G. I was thinking alto keys, right. like yeah. a lot of our listeners, yep. or yep. C yep. and that, It's still outlining B flat major. Like right. G major and alto, or C major on that. So when we're building melodic lines, I think less about it. And so now when I'm teaching younger students to do that, we're building motives and melodies in that key, not outlining. In the key, yeah. Right, because it's not in the key of G dominant on the alto. Right. It's in the key of G major. Right. If you're playing a major blues, a minor blues, you're playing in the key of sure. commonly uh, F minor is, right. is a really common one. And so that's what I think. I we're, So that way, if you're taking melodic lines or motives from any jazz recording, you don't have to have something specific blues, you just find something that works in the key of a major key, then adapt it to that, or find right. anything in the key. of So then you can start to use some modes that you find in rhythm changes, right? and things like that. And I'm ashamed to admit, it took me a really long time to not approach jazz as just outlining the chords. And right. think, oh, what's the good voice leading? How can I do this? I was trying to be clever and, yeah. and outline that. But there's some people already outlining the chords, Yeah, they call it the rhythm section.
1: <laughs> That's a good point. That's their job. <laughs> And yeah. so our
0: job, and there's people that disagree, and there's other ways of looking at it, but I will say from a classical player transitioning over. Yeah. When I got away from reading the chords right. and started building melodies,
1: yeah, in key you can be more creative and more more melodic than Right. Yeah, and so there's no yeah. reason those first Think four bars can't
0: be a beautiful melody sure. laid out in G major. And yes, you can use right. those colorful tones. Um, right. but that F sharp is a leading tone. I'm thinking in the key of G right? Yeah. or that a in the leading tone of B flat still works, but you're like, but that's not in the chord cause it's a flat seven, but we're building mel- melodies right. and melodies have leading tones. And if yes. you listen to these great recordings, and passing tones,
1: you- yes, yes. And that's <laughs> yeah. why
0: all 12 tones can fit. Yeah. So really by listening to great jazz players play melodies and major keys, you can start to do that. And then when you get to that, the bar six and seven transition to minor. And right. then it slips back into the major. And that two, five, one, you can plug in a pattern, you can listen to what other people do, but also realize you're basically just creating a little tension yeah. and release in the key of B flat. Right. And so I think when I quit overthinking it, I started following my ears, not my intellect outlining. Chord changes. Well, I
1: definitely think that following your ear is the best way. Holy cow, yes. It is always the best way. That's what Joe Daly was always saying to me uh, in yeah? jazz lessons. He's like, Would you just, just you know, learn the chords so you know like what they sound like, but then don't think about, well, I gotta play a D sharp and then I gotta play, and just play what sounds right. Just right. Just play what sounds, it sounds right.
0: And we don't think in that. We think in tonal centers. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, no, there's exceptions, some modal jazz and stuff sure, like that don't work yeah. that way, but. Um, a brilliant, I won't say this person's name because they think that's not an exact quote, but uh, <laughs> a really dynamite, one of the best trumpet players I've heard and I took a lesson with said uh, when I, was, I played blues for him, he's like, yeah. "Why? It sounds like you're like outlining these chords, these weird jumps to the flat seven. Like,
1: right. Because the
0: chord has flat
1: seven. Right, exactly. Because you were. You and he were, said, yeah. Wally,
0: I think I've, everything is either major or minor. So I'm building melodies advice, and I'm playing yeah. in either major or minor. So in this blues, I'm playing major, I play a little bit of minor, then I play back to major. Yeah. And then I think that kind of went off and it took me a little while to digest what he meant. Yeah. And realize like yes, it's a dominant chord, it's coloring a major key. Yeah. Area to play like that is enormously helpful. And that's, that's kind cool. of the problem with and I have enormous respect for Jamie Aversold and in the yeah. ages of the dark ages of jazz pedagogy when there was nothing, yeah. you know, he made leaps and bounds in in, in furthering jazz education. But when you look at these things, you'll see the beat Concert B-flat tuning note. Uh, When you look at the the B-flat blues, (laughs) he outlines the scale chord things underneath. There's this chord, use this scale. And he will put the G Mixolydian mode over the G major chord. Once again, I'm talking in alto keys. And so there's no F-sharp or no leading tone or concert uh, A in that first scale. But if you listen to great jazz players, when they're playing over that chord, you'll hear that F-sharp is a leading tone Again and again and again. Yeah. So, quit thinking about which mode fits over which chord. Yeah. And think about key centers. Yeah. And then you don't have to listen to the exact blues. You can find any great melody
1: in a major key, and it works. Well, and actually, the thinking about melody, one of the oldest and probably best ways to learn jazz improvisation is to play a melody, Yes. and then play it again, a little bit altered, and then play it again, embellish a little bit, play it again, play it again, Yes. keep hearing the melody, and then just see what you can do kind of messing around the melody. So that would be a good way for oh, the kids to it's a brilliant way. And um,
0: Lee Konitz has an entire book based on that, basically. Oh, really? Okay. The different steps of going further and further and altering the melody. And um, my mentor, Chad Eby, uh, head of the Miles Davis Jazz program, would always say, if you're stuck in chord changes, you're not sure what to play, you so say, gosh, if only there's some kind of melodic guide that you right? can use. Oh, that's right. It's called the melody. It's called the says, tune, yes. Says Chad in his Chad casting. Yes,
1: his Chad. Yeah, so like if nothing else, like if you're
0: not sure what to play, like what does the melody do?
1: Right. And yeah. I think
0: um, and I got so caught away from that and tried to think and technique my way into jazz sure, yeah. instead of playing great melodies. And yeah. uh, now, on a good day, if I'm improvising over the blues or something else. I'm playing what I hear inside my head, finally, after a yeah. lot of years, and I may not be completely aware of what chord I'm on exactly, but I know right. what tonal area. And right. more importantly, what its function, because that 2-5, yes, you can only the two chord leading to the five chord, and you can alter it in the hip ways and play that flat nine before you lead back, but what is the 2-5 doing? It's creating tension and pull yeah, back to yeah. the home key. Well. You could do that with yeah. a melody, yeah. yeah.
1: You know, you can listen to some chord changes and not even know what they are if you're, you know, not mm-hmm. that person who has perfect pitch and you know can just say what the chords are. And well, you, you, you can sing. You can't do that soon. I'm sorry, you can't do that. <laughs> A loser. <laughs> I, I would.
0: I'm just, I'm busy right now. Yeah. You're yeah. busy, yeah. but
1: you could sing something over there. Just use yes. your ear and sing something. And so I always think that improvising is one, you know, listening to enough stuff and getting some inspiration and also just noodling around on your saxophone just by yourself, just to figure out what you can do and what sounds cool to you. Right. And then when you can actually imagine something in your head and Get your fingers to the right buttons to make it happen. That's when I feel like I I'm there. I did what I was trying to do. That always makes me really happy. It's not an easy
0: Yes, Um, but like you say, hear what's in your head, and that's the important part of listening. That was that major piece of the puzzle when I was a classical person wanting to expand for the job market purposes. Right. Um, I wasn't listening Mm. passionately, so there was nothing. There was not enough in my head outside of these patterns I would learn. Right. That just sounded dorky because you know even on a good day when I plug in enough two five patterns.
1: Right. That,
0: you know, it just, it wasn't the thing. It wasn't
1: something that was coming from inside of your head, no, honestly. No, and yeah. it always
0: happened in a little two-measure block. <laughs> right, you talked
1: about that. Yeah, and it yeah. just
0: didn't make any sense. So yeah. listening and falling in love. Um,
1: and I think there, I, yeah, I think there aren't really shortcuts is is what we keep hitting our head against with uh, this. Like uh, we want there to be some shortcut, and there's just not. You have to listen to the music, love it, try to play it, try to play by ear, you know, you can look at the chords and learn learn the chords and notes and stuff, right. and you have to do all of that, and then it all kind of works out.
0: Yeah, and I, I still love the idea of, of truly coming from an honest place of building great melodies, because yeah. a lot of times, some of the young players are like, oh, I heard so-and-so uses a substitution chord in bar uh, seven before the turnaround, <laughs> okay. and they, they step out and go to this this adjacent key. It's a tritone sub of this, and it's very clever.
1: Sure. I suppose.
0: But then they get fixated on that. And I think, okay, Johnny, that's super duper neat that you can yeah. do the tritone sub of this chord. And for a moment, it sounds kind of out and hip. And then like, oh, cool, you meant to do that rather than play a yeah. one note. <laughs> but can you play a melody
1: yeah.
0: in the key of B flat? Can you play a motive in the key of B flat? Can yeah. you play a bebop language in just the key of B? B-flat.
1: I'll
0: right. Yeah. It'll know, but I know how to do a tritone substitution this. <laughs> so I think, yeah. Well, if
1: you hear that tritone substitution and honestly go for it, I think right. that's one thing. But if you're just like, okay, I'm going to just shift, you know, grind yeah. the gears right here. <laughs> so
0: in my practice, and, so weird. and I could be like delusional, but in my practice now, I'm doing a lot less of outlining chords in my practice and a mm-hmm. lot more of looking at, so for instance, those first four bars of that B-flat blues, it's B-flat major. It's just B-flat major. So what yeah. I'll do is in a point of my metronome, a one, two, three, I'll put on two and four and I'll practice improvising B flat major and I'll just play in B flat major, not worrying about exactly what chord is happening where, and can I keep it going, can I keep it in time and just improvise and then I'll practice that in a different key I'll go to the relative minor or the parallel minor in this case and then we'll practice that and then maybe I'll piece it together in the actual chord structure as it goes by. Um, But in the meantime, just learning to build and improvise in key areas
1: yeah that's what songs
0: are yeah, songs yeah, yeah. aren't a series of chords There, no no
1: no they're key areas and the chords yeah yeah
0: at least for the majority of the american songbook you need to think about what is the major key area not how can i outline you know 16 disparate right. chords the
1: chords are just tension away from yeah. the tonic and back yeah yeah, yeah. and they all yeah, have yeah. A, they have a function yeah.
0: but they're all functional to the key area and you can justify so no matter what you're playing that g major skill you can justify each note over each of the chords in a yeah. million different ways in a
1: million different ways yeah
0: so. even on if you play um yeah, and so I think we overthink it in the terms of chords when we think in bigger key areas. Yeah. Now, that's not to say we can't add color and interest by right. snagging some of those interesting chord tones. Yeah. But for me, the biggest impediment of improvising in a way that I found true joy was over trying to analyze chords and getting in and outlining the chords. Yeah. Because the rhythm section is doing a pretty good job of that.
1: <laughs> but the one thing you have to say is really okay about the Abrasol books is they give you like these recordings of rhythm sections and you can just it's a improvise lot of, yeah. over them.
0: And once you know, yeah. practice
1: doing that. And don't worry about the chords, just play by ear.
0: That would be good if you have something in your ear. Yeah, because like yeah. like we talked about having enough yeah. recordings. No, I, I'm not knocking on yeah. Abersole, but yeah, it's that... I know what you're saying. It's well, a yeah, tool yeah. once you get to a certain point, but yeah. it doesn't teach you how to play jazz. No. Now, granted, and Abersole does drive this home, in each of his books he has recommended listening.
1: Yes, and some great, great long discography uh-huh. lists and lists of tunes. Yeah. Yes, right.
0: So, but you know, in this yeah. day and age, I find less and less of the young kids are using that, using more uh, I Real Book.
1: Yeah, okay. Nature,
0: which I gotta admit, I love because you can loop sections. Yes. The rhythm section sounds like dorky robots,
1: Um, <laughs> the play along,
0: but I love that you can just loop sections. And just
1: keep practicing. And keep practicing yeah. that way,
0: which is great. Yeah. But really, if you're practicing in key areas, maybe you don't even need to play along and maybe you just need a metronome. Right. So it took me way too many years to get at that.
1: It's good advice.
0: Yeah. So now we'll go. see how that relates to um, making Duran Duran Bebop.
1: <laughs> Cause that's the important thing. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I didn't print awesome. off any any listener questions this week. I've got a couple coming. Alrighty. in can we do a mailbag next time? Of course. Okay, yes. and I'll Bring give you the questions on. in advance so we can think we'll of see if
1: we have any answers.
0: I don't know if we will have any answers, but so, we'll so see, Yeah, I'll see you in a couple weeks. See you in
1: a couple and weeks. If you, well, if you have like... a question,
0: please do write us, and we'll get to it before the next. um This is I'm going to try to post this episode tomorrow on Tuesday. And it's getting
1: to be the holiday season. It is. So you should buy your Saxophone Academy T-shirts. Saxophone
0: Academy T-shirts, yes, for oh. Christmas presents. Oh, they make great Christmas presents. I'm
1: going to get some.
0: I saw our hoodie out in the wild, actually, by <gasps> that same infectious retired infectious disease doctor, Karen <laughs> Saxtonus, who I have some interview segments with. We can air in the New Year.
1: They're very um, nice material.
0: It, it looked warm. Sue, so it looked cozy. Yeah. It looked stylish. I know, right? And in the winter season, I think the Saxophone Academy hoodie. I'll put a link in the show notes. There you go. Make See, a great a little plug holiday, on our product
1: yes. there. Yes. <laughs> Oh. Okay, we'll have a
0: wonderful week soon. We'll see you, you soon. You too,
1: Wally. Great talking with you. Bye, everyone. Bye.